You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So if you haven't been with us, we have been in a study of the book of Genesis, and we literally started in the beginning of the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, and have worked our way all the way now to this point in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, we actually jumped past this passage and went on to Genesis 24, but now by design, we're jumping back to Genesis 22. And in preparing for this uh, message this morning, um, I was reminded of something that we've talked a little bit about in the past, and that is, I'm one of those kinds of people who, when I go to sleep and I wake up the next day, I usually don't remember my dreams. Uh, Are you like that? Or are you that kind of person who, who, when you wake up the next morning, you can tell and remember in great detail what you dreamed about? Well, I'm in that first camp where I just don't remember anything. I figure when I go to sleep, I've got a job to do and I do it. And according to my wife, I fall asleep within about three seconds when my head hits the pillow. She says, no, you're still sticking to one second? Yeah, she says one second. I don't think it's quite that bad. But I'm not around to know. I just go to sleep, right? And I usually do not remember what I dream about. But there is this reoccurring dream that I have every so often that I do remember. And maybe you can relate to this. You ever had that dream where you may not know all the details, but you're in this setting, this place that feels like a classroom. And there is this test that you're about to take. And everything's on the line. And you're not ready. You haven't studied, but it's coming your way and there is no escape. And maybe parts of that dream are, you know, you can't find the classroom and you're running late and you don't have a pencil. And that dream always comes and finds me. And I'm not sure why. And I've thought about that and thought, well, maybe it's because I was in school for 30 years. And... (laughs) No, I did not take first grade 25 times, you know, that some of you who know me might reasonably think that, but that isn't what happened. It took me 18 years to finish my my graduate degree, my master's degree, and I think they were just glad I finally finished. You know, if I wouldn't have, I think they would have just given it to me and said, please go. But that aside, maybe it's because I was in school so many years, but I have this reoccurring dream that I'm going to show up for this test. It is my final exam. Everything is riding on this, and I am not ready. And as we read the story of Genesis 22, I wonder if Abraham felt that way. Because God is going to test Abraham's faith. And he is going to ask something of him that I'm sure he does not feel like he's ready for. But the amazing thing about this God is that this God, when he tests our faith, always wants us to pass. This is the God who, when he tests you, he always wants you and me to pass the test. He never sets us up to fail. In fact, quite the opposite. He always prepares us for every test of faith that's going to come our way, even when we don't feel ready for it. Because we see this true in the life of Abraham. For maybe some of you who haven't been here as we've journeyed through Genesis to this point, we've been focused on Abraham's life for a number of weeks because 
Abraham's part of the story starts with him living in this distant land, and in Genesis 12, God comes to him and says, yeah, Abraham, you, yeah, you, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you later. And so Abraham leaves everything that's familiar to him, everything that he knows, everything that's comfortable, takes his immediate family with him, and they set off to this distant land. And can you imagine what that conversation with his wife Sarah was like? Where are we going? I don't know. Really? And God told you this? Yeah. Okay, has God sh- told you about your brain and the need to use it? Well, he just is told by God to go, and so he goes, not knowing where he's going. And if that wasn't enough, he gets to that land, and then there's another series of tests. One of the promises God makes to him is not just this land that is eventually going to be fully his, but he's going to have an heir. He's going to have a son. And at this point, he and Sarah her name was Sarai at the time, were childless. They, and they were well past the years of being able to have kids. But God makes this promise to them and then they wait. Year after year after year, 24 years go by. Sarah is 90 years old. Abraham is 100 years old. And then they have Isaac, the child of the promise. And it's miraculous, but such long years such an incredible test of waiting for this actually to come to fruition. And then if that's not enough, in the chapter that comes right before this one, we see the consequences of a very bad choice beginning to show itself with Abraham and Sarah because in those years they were waiting for Isaac, they got impatient, took matters into their own hands, came up with this idea, hey, let's have Abraham sleep with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, and maybe Hagar will get pregnant and that way we'll be able to fulfill God's promise. And so that's exactly what happens. Hagar becomes pregnant, Ishmael is born, and once Isaac is born, it's very clear that these two families now cannot coexist. They are going to be at odds and it's just, it's just not gonna work. It's not that they won't get along, it's that they're gonna be enemies. And this is all something that was set in motion by Abraham and Sarah's choice. And so, God confirms to Abraham that Hagar and Ishmael need to go. How incredibly difficult for him to say goodbye to his son that he loves and his first son, but he's probably never gonna see him again and he has to trust God that God really will take care of them when they have to leave and that's exactly what happens. He makes the incredible difficult choice to have them leave, Hagar and Ishmael leave and God takes care of them just like he said he would. So life has been a series of tests of Abraham's faith, and now we're coming to basically is what his final exam. And he probably doesn't feel ready for it, but he has been prepared for it. Because every time God tests our faith, he is revealing our faith, he is building our faith, he is strengthening our faith. And at the end of the day, this is the bottom line question for Abraham and really the bottom line question for you and me as we come to this passage and really as we face daily life, how far are you willing to go to trust and obey God? That's what's on the table in this passage this morning for Abraham and ultimately for us. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 22. If you have a tablet or phone, feel free to take that out, turn the volume down, but go to Genesis chapter 22. I'm gonna throw this up on the screens behind us and read it to you as we always do. We're gonna work our way through this story, so here we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
And this is a pretty remarkable response by Abraham. This isn't a, hey, how are you, God? What's going on today? This is the attitude of humility. This is an attitude of someone who is willing to do whatever God is asking him to do. Abraham, do you know what you're getting into here? Here we go. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, there's so much we need to do business with here. We just reminded ourselves of the reality that Ishmael, Abraham's first son, is now gone. So Isaac truly is his only son. And he is the child of the promise. All these promises that God has made and continues to make to Abraham are gonna be fulfilled through Isaac and eventually his descendants, okay? And he is to go to the region of Moriah, which presumably he's never been there before. And we'll come back to the significance of that in just a minute. But we've gotta do business with the obvious here. He is to sacrifice him? What parent would reasonably entertain that? Now, as I've thought about my parents and me and thought about some of my growing up years, probably in my middle school years, my parents might have gone, hmm, they might have hesitated (laughs) and considered it. But reasonably, is there any parent who would sacrifice one of their children? I have three kids. I have two daughters and a son. There is no way no way I would ever consider this, yet this is exactly what God is asking of Abraham, which begs the question, how can God ask this of Abraham? And we actually get a hint here right out of the gate. Moriah has meaning. Names in the Bible have meaning and significance. Moriah means provision the region of provision. Isn't that interesting? Okay. How's that going to work? Abraham isn't told how that's going to work. In fact, I wonder what Abraham's feeling. Shock? Confusion? I mean, like we talked about in the Facebook um, sermon preview that we uploaded this week, this has got to be one of the most shocking, most difficult to understand, most difficult to comprehend and get our hands around in some ways passages in all of Genesis, possibly in all of the Old Testament. Because on one hand, Scripture very consistently and emphatically condemns child sacrifice. It, it It is absolutely wrong before God. In fact, God's people were surrounded by nations that sacrificed their children on a regular basis as acts of worship to their false gods. And God unequivocally said, you were to have no part of that. That's evil, it's despicable, it's wrong. You were to have nothing to do with that. And yet here's this. And I wonder if Abraham was feeling not just the shock and confusion, but like, did I hear you right? Did I eat some bad pizza last night? It's, okay, they didn't have pizza back then. Okay, well, you sure you got the right guy? Am, am I hearing this right? And, and by the way, God has made all these promises to Abraham. You're gonna have all these descendants. You're gonna bless all nations eventually through your descendants. One descendant in particular, and 
Isaac is the child of all these promises. How's that going to work if he's dead? If Abraham sacrifices him? We don't necessarily know what he was feeling, but actually we do know what he was thinking because it explains what's about to happen in this passage. If we jump forward some 2,000 years in history to the New Testament, to the letter that was written to the Hebrews, it says this, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, this very story we're reading. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And another way of saying it is it's through Isaac that your offspring will be fulfilled, that that promise will be met. Abraham reasoned, this is what he was thinking, that God could even raise the dead. Bottom line, Abraham even though he didn't know the details, even though God was asking him something that was incomprehensible, trusted that God was gonna work out the details somehow, some way. So how did he respond? He obeyed, and he obeyed promptly. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, He set out for the place God had told him about. Over and over again in Abraham's life, we see this prompt obedience. And by the way, when God commands you and I to do something, when he tells us to do something now, the timeline is always now. And that's what we see in Abraham. No delay. Early the next morning, he gets up and he goes to now take this journey. And we're told that it was a three-day journey. What do you suppose the conversation was like on that journey? My family and I like to go hiking, and when we have our kids back under the roof, which isn't very often, we we will sometimes go out on hikes together and just love being together. And, you know, some time ago, I remember taking this hike up Angel's Rest, which is in the gorge, and it's very appropriately named. Angels must need to rest by the time they climb it, because it's it's a pretty good climb. And this was just like a two, three-hour hike, and we talked the whole way. We covered a lot of ground. You ever been on a three-day hike or longer? You're gonna talk. And I wonder what they're talking about. And you wonder if in this story, if Sarah knows what's going on, because it doesn't tell us. You know, this is one of those where we could speculate, did she know? Was this one of those things where like you take one of your kids skydiving and you say, you know, don't tell your mother until we're on the ground, you know, that kind of thing? Or did she know, did she not know? We don't know, but this is what we do know. Abraham promptly obeys, makes this three-day-long journey, and then look what happens. He says to his servants, once they get there, stay here with the donkey, stay here with the car, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, this is just me, but when I, when I read stuff like this, we will come back to you, I, I immediately get Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice in my head. I'll be back, you know. But that's not the vibe of this at all. This isn't about Abraham. This, once again, is his determination that God is going to work it out. And somehow, when he comes back down that mountain after sacrificing his son, somehow Isaac's gonna be with him. He is just determined to trust God and to know that this is gonna work out even though he doesn't know. So Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and placed it 
on his son Isaac. That's an important detail we'll come back to. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This is the only time Isaac speaks in this story that's captured for us, and he's good at math. Fire, wood, hmm, what's missing? Oh, yeah, the sacrifice. Hey, Dad, can you explain this to me and watch how Abraham responds? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And at first glance, we can look at this and say, that's evasive. Not quite telling the whole truth there, but again, I don't think that's the vibe here at all. This is once again a commitment of trust and deep faith by Abraham, truly believing that somehow God is gonna work out the details of this. And so it tells us that when they reached the place God had told him about, the top of this mountain, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Now let's stop here for just a minute. There's an altar in this room. You may or may not have noticed. It's kind of hiding. I'm being a little sarcastic. It's right here, right? It's big. This is a picture of what that altar could have looked like. Surely he gathered a bunch of stones together and built something very similar to this. And our production team and our creative arts team, some of who were here this morning, they did an amazing job of constructing this and putting this together for us. But this is, this is what an altar like that seemingly would have, would have looked like. And the reason for an altar was several fold. Number one, it was a focal point for worship. Number two, altars were sometimes built not just for sacrifices, like this one's kind of built to, to, to represent. They were also built to commemorate something God had done in that person's life. By way of example, Abraham, not long after he came to this land, after God had told him to go there, built an altar to commemorate that God had brought him to this land. So sometimes they were to commemorate things God had done, but oftentimes they were for sacrifices. They were a focal point for worship. And so at this point you wonder, what's Isaac really thinking about all this? Because when they'd reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. There's something missing here. And what's missing here is very significant. Where does it say that Isaac resisted his dad and did not get on that altar? Where does it say Isaac ran away and Abraham had to run him down and catch him in order to tie him up and put him on there? It doesn't. And that's by design. And that's on purpose. Because this is a picture of a father and son partnering together to obey God. Now, I have a son. He's 6'4 and bigger than I am. And he thinks he's stronger than I am. But what I always tell him is, son, treachery and deceit always went out over strength. You know, I will ambush you. You'll never see me coming. <laughs> so don't throw down with me. I can still take you out. We don't, he's not here, that's why I'm saying that. <laughs> He'll be in the next service and I'll delete that part. 
because you know he'll test me between Easter dinner and food coma, you know, that happens afterwards. So anyway, we don't know how old Isaac was here at this point. He was born when Abraham was 100 years old, and this word in the original language for boy or child is very elastic. It can mean an elementary school kid. It can mean a young adult. Either way, surely Isaac, if he wanted to get away, if he wanted to resist his dad, he could have. But there's no coercion going on here. This is cooperation, not just compliance, but really partnering to obey God, which is, it's just, it's astounding. And so Abraham reaches out his hand and takes the knife to sacrifice his son, to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, and there's urgency here for him to say his name twice. Here I am, he replied. And once again, here's this amazing response by Abraham. I think if it was me, I would have said, what do you want now? I'm already doing this unspeakable, incomprehensible thing and you're calling out to me again, but that's not the attitude here either. It's whatever you want, God. And what does the angel go on to say? Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Do you remember what Abraham said when at first glance it looked like he was being evasive with Isaac? When Isaac did the math and said, uh, where's the burnt offering? And he said, what? God will provide the offering. And what happened here? Well, there just happens to be a ram caught in a thicket at the top of the mountain. What a coincidence. Isn't that amazing? Please excuse my sarcasm. Because this is not a coincidence. The ram is not in the wrong place at the right time. This ram is in the right place at exactly the right time. And by the way, what is the name of this mountain again? The mountain of provision. The mountain of Moriah. And there's this incredibly beautiful picture of Isaac gets off the altar and the ram gets put on it. Not so good for the ram, but, but great for Isaac. And, and what goes on to happen here? The angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, and you can take no greater oath than God swearing by himself that because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God basically does a renewal of these promises that he keeps giving to Abraham and says, yep, all this is gonna happen. What an amazing story. But this isn't just a story. And it's not just history, although it is those things. This really did happen. Not a fairy tale, not a fable. This is historical narrative. This happened. But it's not just Abraham and Isaac's and God's story. It's our story. 
And this is one of the most profoundly distinctive links to the story for us. That word for offspring there is singular. This is talking about a someone who would eventually come and ultimately fulfill all the promises of God and through whom all nations, all people would be blessed. And this is where I start to get goosebumps. My friends, I have been on this very mountain. When I went to Israel three years ago, I stood on this mountain. And those of you who have been to Israel probably have stood on it as well. Because all this points 2,000 years to the future when another son would take wood for the sacrifice in the form of a cross and carry it up this mountain where he would partner with the father to sacrifice his life on behalf of all people. My friends, Mount Moriah is the temple mount in the middle of Jerusalem where the Dome of the Rock sits, that Muslim shrine, but also, though, the remnants of the earlier temples. This was always looking ahead to 2,000 years later when another faithful son would partner with the Father to do the unthinkable, to sacrifice himself in order to bless all people. Folks, this is about Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and you and me. Isaac gets off this altar and gets his life back in Genesis 22. 2,000 years later, Jesus is nailed to the cross and he dies there. But three days later, he rises from the dead and comes back to life and then gives life to all who will believe in him. But there's still there's still a question we have not done business with. The first question, we've worked our way through to some degree. The first question being, how can God ask this of Abraham? Because it's exactly what God, as the loving father, would do with his only son, Jesus Christ, for all of you and for me. Abraham didn't have to follow through, God did. The second question is, well, why did there have to be a sacrifice? Did you notice that when Isaac got off the altar, the story didn't end there? A ram was sacrificed instead. So why is this? Well, it's because of you. And it's because of me that there had to be a sacrifice. Because everybody's religious. Or to put that another way, everyone's a worshiper. Even if you are an atheist and you don't believe in God or gods or whatever, you're actually religious and you're actually a worshiper. Because all of us have been hardwired to give our affection, our loyalty, our trust, our resources to something or someone, oftentimes multiple somethings and someones in our life. We all have a focus with our life. Everyone's like that. You intuitively, instinctively know how to worship because you're hardwired for it, because you do it every day. The question is, what is the object of that worship? And going all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, 
when they decided that they would decide what was best for their lives, that they would determine what was wrong and right, when they decided they would do life without God was when this thing called sin, this brokenness that is resident in all of us entered the world and that's where we all start. We all start out in the same place. We have this inward bent towards making life all about us, to to being selfish, to living for ourselves. And in the end, we end up worshiping and turning to empty things to find fullness and completeness and happiness and significance in our lives. Sometimes it's empty, organized religion, but oftentimes, especially in our culture, it's the religion of self. We make life all about us. But I'd like to introduce you to someone who has done business with organized empty religion, who for a while in her life settled for the religion of self, self worship, and instead chose to experience someone better. This person's name is Cheryl Olson, and we'd like her to be able to tell her story to you. So let's show that. Cheryl Olson and I've been coming to Grace I think 11 or 12 years <laughs> a while um, so I grew up in a very religious uh, family we went to a church that um, our family had strong roots in it was a very um, legalistic church lots of rules and so there was no really leaving it, you know, it was, we were very bound to it. I just remember growing up, the, the scripture, be therefore perfect in Matthew. And so it was really driven into us a lot to be perfect and that we became perfect through our works. So I worked and I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing, but I never felt perfect and I never felt good enough. And when I was about 19 or so, I left home and I left the church because I just couldn't be perfect anymore and I didn't have to keep up the facade anymore. Probably in my mid-twenties or so, I'd been married and had a couple kids and a mortgage, all the things that come with life as you mature and grow. And I just started kind of slipping into a depression. I started going to a counselor who realized that my problem was my relationship with God. Uh, he just had me start praying and I had no idea. That was my homework, pray. <laughs> I was like, who am I praying to? I don't know. I started going back to the church I was raised in because I didn't really know what else to do. And at the same time, I was working in an office and this sweet lady from Georgia had just moved to Oregon and wanted to know when we met for Bible study. And I had no idea what she was talking about. (laughs) I didn't really ever, I had no idea. We didn't do Bible study in my church. We started having a Bible study with all the girls at church and I joined them just because I was trying to find this relationship that my counselor was trying to get me to straighten out. And so we started studying the book of John and right out of first chapter. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And down a little further in chapter one that the, the Word 
became flesh and dwelt among us. And I thought, well, that is not what I've been taught. <laughs> and that was just really shocking to me to really realize that I had been raised in this false religion, that it was a lie. And then I had to wrestle with, is the Bible true? Because I had been presented with a lot of scripture in the religion I was growing up with. And I couldn't get over my friend from Georgia who was so sure that the Bible was true and she was so sure she was going to go to heaven when she died. Another friend invited me to church. Easter Sunday I went to church, a Christian church. I'd never been in a Christian church before and the singing and the music was just so amazing and they were so focused on Jesus. <laughs> I had never experienced that. The sermon that morning I remember, um, of course, was about the resurrected Lord, but the focus was on Mary. And when she went to the tomb and Jesus was gone, and she came looking for him, and she saw who she thought was a gardener, and she says, you know, where have you taken my Lord? And she didn't recognize Jesus until he spoke her name. Hearing how personal God is, how Jesus spoke her name and she recognized him then. And I thought, he's just so personal and so intimate. And this, this is the relationship that I'm looking for, okay? This is the Jesus that I want to know. And this is the Jesus that I want to worship. This is the Jesus I want to love. And this is the Jesus in the Bible that I've been studying. <laughs> so Easter is my birthday, my, my spiritual birthday. I gave my heart to Jesus that Easter. And I've never looked back. It was just amazing to just finally be free of the guilt and the shame and everything that I'd grown up with and to just rest and to know that I wasn't perfect, but I'm made perfect in Christ and I can do all things through Him because He's in me. great story. Could it be yours? Could this be your spiritual birthday today? Because let's take a test drive of what you just heard and what we've been talking about. If you're looking for fulfillment, if you're looking for completion in organized religion of any kind, ultimately it's going to leave you empty. Because that leads you to one of two places. Either you'll always wonder like Cheryl did, am I good enough? Is my life good enough? Am I acceptable to God? Or you get to the point where you become arrogant and smug and really self-righteous, which is never a good thing. Where you divide the group, rather the group, the world into, well, there's the good people and the bad people and I'm one of the good people. Jesus had some of his harshest words for religious people like that. Or you could settle for making life all about you, which is what our culture does often. Where life just becomes all about you, which is a profoundly selfish way to live. Great for you, not so great for all the people around you, and ultimately not so great for you because you're settling for far less than what you could have. Although, so, so from there in our worship then, then we choose to elevate a spouse 
or another relationship into our, in our lives to something they were never intended to be and we expect from them something they'll never be able to deliver because none of those things will ever fully complete you. The only thing that truly brings us meaning and completion is a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a religion. The Bible isn't about religion. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. Jesus came to end religion through right relationship with God, through knowing him. So could this be your spiritual birthday today? Let's go ahead and invite the worship team and our worship choir to come on up as we prepare to respond in just a minute. You see, the reality is if you're settling for being a good person, good is not good enough. I mean, you heard Cheryl reasonably say, no one is perfect, and that's exactly right. That's exactly the point. No one is perfect. We all are broken and bent apart from Jesus Christ. You cannot have a good enough resume. You cannot be a good enough person. You can't be consistent enough, moral enough, smart enough in order to pass that final exam. The only way you can be in a right relationship with God, the only way you can pass really the final exam of choosing to trust and obey God is through Jesus Christ because this always pointed to that, those two crosses on either side. When one would come who would sacrifice himself willingly in order to remove your brokenness from you and in turn to give you his righteousness. We saw this verse at the end of Cheryl's video and her story. There is an exchange that happens at that cross because Jesus didn't stay there. What we celebrate on Easter is the reality that three days later he rose from the dead and came back to life and he gives that life to all who choose to receive it and accept it. This could become your spiritual birthday if you choose to do that. But it's really important to understand for all of us that God will not negotiate when it comes to brokenness, when it comes to sin in our lives. He will not share you or me with anything that would hurt us, that would devalue us, that would abuse us, that would leave us ultimately feeling empty. Jesus is not looking for fans, for people who occasionally will be on his team. Jesus is looking for followers who will trust and obey him. Don't be a fan, be a follower, which means there cannot be a line that you draw where you say, I will trust and obey you to this point. Because that was the bottom line for Abraham. Would he trust and obey God even when it didn't make sense to do so? The same is true for you and for me. Are you willing to step over that line? And you know what? The reality is, even for those of us who know and love Jesus, we have a tendency to draw those lines and say, I will trust and obey you to this point. Uh Uh-uh. Because you're robbing yourself of the very blessing that God wants to give you when you do that. So here's the deal. There are a number of ways for you to be able to respond in this worship time now. Up here we have these sticks that are really meant to represent the sacrifice that Jesus has made for each one of us. He carried his cross up that same hill some 2,000 years later for you and for me. And then it rose again 
in order to give us life. And so as an act of saying, you know what? There are no lines when it comes to following and trusting you. Then I want to encourage you to come up and get one of these sticks and just walk it over to the cross here. And for some of you, this might be a first-time defining moment decision where you say, I'm going to trust and obey Jesus. I'm going to follow him with my life. For the others of us who already know him, this, again, is just an act of saying, there are no lines, Lord. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me with whatever that means. And you take that and you just you drop it in the cross here. And then on your way back to your seats, we have communion off to the sides. Take communion. Remind yourself of what he's done for you. And if you're a guest to our church, you may not know or appreciate this, but we're pretty laid back here with our worship. There's a lot of freedom here. You may not be used to getting up and standing up and walking forward to do something like this. People get up and walk up and stand up all the time here to go get coffee or that you can certainly come up to do this. But if you want to sit and stay where you are, that's fine. You want to stand and raise your hands, that's fine. You want to come forward and do this, that's fine. But respond to this God who has come looking for you this morning, who asks, will you trust and follow me with your life? Not just part of it, all of it. Let me pray his blessing over you. Lord, again, I do not believe it's coincidence that we are here. Each person is here because you are calling us to trust and obey you to say there are no lines. Wherever you tell me to go, I will go. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do because I do trust you. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who is not certain, is not sure if they've ever made that defining moment decision to trust and follow you with their whole life, that they would make that choice this morning. And for those of us who do know and love you, that we would identify those lines that we have drawn and that we would step over them and say, there are no lines when it comes to trusting and following you. Thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's worship together. I hope you believe what you just sang. Because this can be your spiritual birthday today like Cheryl was talking about. It's actually our spiritual birthday as a church. 38 years ago, today, 100 people came out here to East County and started what we now know as this church family, Grace Community Church. That's pretty cool. But what's even more cool is to know this God. We have prayer teams off to the side. They would love to pray with you about anything. But if you made that decision to follow Jesus, would you tell them, tell the person who brought you please come tell me. We'd love to just celebrate that with you. And for those of you who know and love the Lord, you have God, but does he fully have you? Because with this God, there are no lines that we get to draw where we say, well, I'll trust and obey you to that point because we are robbing ourselves of the very blessing he wants to give us when we do that. So don't settle for that. And again, you don't have to walk that alone. These teams, myself, we'd love to pray with you about anything you're up against that's keeping you from trusting and following him this morning. But we've got so much to celebrate and worship does not stop when the music stops at the end of our service. Worship is a way of life. And so as we go from here, I wanna pray God's blessing over you that you would walk and live by faith. Jesus, thank you once again for each person who is here. 
Lord, thank you for those who will be listening via podcast or the internet. God, would you help all of us to trust you by faith, to not give in to the temptation to draw lines where we tell you that we will obey you and follow you to a certain point. Would we have no lines? Would we just choose to fully trust and obey you with our lives? Because you will bless us. You promise us that as a result. So would we believe you for it? And thank you that you are the resurrected Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's end our service the way we started it. He is risen. He is risen risen indeed. Now go live like it. And we hope to see you next week. Happy Easter to all of you. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.